So we are in the last hours of the new year. So I guess I can say happy new year. And uh, one, new year's is actually one of my favorite holidays. I, I think it's kind of a weird favorite holiday. I don't hear that very often, but I love uh, new year's. And really I love it because it's a chance to look back and then to look forward. And it's kind of like a restart for us, right? And I think our passage here in Ephesians 5 tonight that Isadora just read uh, really casts a vision for looking at how we're living and then how we should live um, in the new year. And so we're not going to be, be talking about New Year's resolutions. Don't worry. I know we often fail at those by January 2nd if we make them. But we are going to hopefully cast a vision for wise living in 2023 as believers. And if we need something for 2023, it's a vision for how to live in our world today, right? And so I think Paul's going to call us today, as we read in Ephesians, he's going to call us to live wisely in the dark world by really examining our lives closely, making the best use of the time, knowing that the days are evil, and understanding Christ's will. So, We're jumping into Ephesians kind of in the middle. We usually take a a look at a book um, by going systematically through it. Tonight, we're jumping into the middle of a book. So Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, a church that he loves and has spent a lot of time with. And really, the letter has been focusing on uh, the believer's union with Christ and the unity that we have in the church and how to live in the church together. And then Paul's been urging the believers to live out their Christian lives in holiness. And one of the themes that he's really used in the book so far is this theme of walking, to walk. And Paul uses this theme of to walk, um, signifying the life of the believer, how how we should live. So uh, in Ephesians 4.1, after proclaiming what Christ has done in the gospel, Paul calls the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And then in 4.17, he says to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then in 5.1, he says to walk in love. And then in 5.8, he says to walk as children of the light. And so he's been using this metaphor of walking to signify how we should live as believers. And um, our passage today is the last time that he uses it in the letter. And uh, if you look at verse 15 with me, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so in this verse, Paul really is asking us how we walk as, as wise ones. So he's focused on walking in love, focused on walking as children in the light, And now everything in our passage today is going to be focused on this idea of walking as not unwise, but as wise. So that's the main question I hope we can cast some vision for today is how do we walk in wisdom as believers? What does that look like? And the first thing I think that we see in the passage is something we might be tempted to run past. And it's that walking in wisdom means examining your life carefully. So if you look, the first two words of what Paul says is look carefully, then how you walk. And some of your translations might put the emphasis on really looking or uh, carefully walking, but really he puts the emphasis here on looking carefully at how we walk, examining. 
And the word that Paul uses here can mean with strictness or attention to detail. So what what does it mean to look carefully at something? Seems like a simple question, but I think sometimes it's helpful to think about the opposite of what something is to really understand it. So when I think of not looking carefully, um, I would think of not paying attention, right? Or doing something haphazardly. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think of not looking carefully is, is texting and driving, right? Um, we all know that texting and driving is dangerous. Hopefully that's not a surprise to anyone. Um, the other day, Alicia and I were driving up to a roundabout here in Abu Dhabi and uh, someone just flies through the roundabout without even looking. Has, has anyone seen this before? I think many people have. And as the guy flies through the roundabout, you, we can see him and he just has his phone up, just texting, right? Not paying attention to the road at all, right? Not looking carefully at where he's going. Um, and if you're driving a large vehicle through a roundabout at 60 kilometers per hour, with other cars in the roundabout, you really should be looking carefully at where you're going, right? You should be paying attention um, to where you're going. And I think if we, if many of us take an honest examination at our life, sometimes we live like that, right? Um, like the guy going through the roundabout without care of where we're going or how we're living, distracted by the less important things that don't really matter, kind of like a, a telephone, right? Um, what really matters is keeping your eyes on the road and not running into something. And so Paul tells us here to look carefully. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we ever pause and ask, how am I living my Christian life? Because the call to walk as a Christian is much more important even than driving through a roundabout, as important as that is, right? It's life or death, and it's, it's weighty because it's eternal, and so as we think about how to walk as wise in the, in the coming verses, we need to remember to look carefully at how we're walking and examine our lives. Think carefully about how we're living. And the end of the year really gives us an opportunity to look back at the last year and say, how have I walked as a believer this year? What, what has my life looked like as a believer? Have I been walking faithfully? I think something we miss sometimes about examining our life carefully is that it's meant to be done in community. So something that struck me as I was reading this passage this week is that Paul is writing and asking the believers to look carefully. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people, right? He's even using the plural here to look carefully. And so it's important to know that we can do this in community. We can examine our lives in community. We have built-in ways to do this as a church here at Grace Church. We have home groups, and we have DNAs, and we have friends that are following Christ together, right? And we'd be wise to think of Proverbs 12.5 in this situation. And it says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And so as we carefully examine our lives, one thing that means is opening our lives up to one another to look carefully, right? Because we may think we're walking as children of the light, um, but we may be blind to something else. We may believe that we're right about something, but our brother and sister sees a area of sin or darkness in our life that we do not see. 
And so it takes more than just two eyes to look carefully how we're walking. So brothers and sisters, as we come out of 2022, let's look carefully at how we are walking and let's ask the Lord to reveal areas of our life that have sin in them. Even if that might be scary, even if we might find some things that we don't uh, want to find in our hearts and in our lives, we must look carefully at how we walk. So Paul continues in verse 16 to encourage us to walk in wisdom. Let's look at that. At the first part of verse 16, Paul says that we should walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. And so as we said earlier, this, all of this passage is focused on walking in wisdom. And the literal translation here of make the best use of the time is redeem the time or buy up the time. Some of your translations may, may say that actually, but it's a great metaphor that Paul uses several times throughout his letters to call us to take advantage of the opportunity or moment. Think of grabbing up the opportunities or time before it's too late or like snatching up some good deal on, a, on the day of a sale, right? Making the best use of the time. And often I think when we think about the Christian life, when we think about walking with Jesus, we tend to think about just avoiding sin, right? We think of avoiding things, maybe avoiding the world um, and not going the way of the world. But here Paul's really calling us to action, He's calling us to good. He's calling us to not sit back and be lazy, but actually act and do good things, right? Make the best use of the time. And we know that our time here on earth is limited, that we don't have unlimited time, right? Sometimes we don't think about that, but our lives are really short in the grand scheme of things. So think about Psalm 90 verses 10 and 12. The psalmist says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So the psalmist says, we may live to 70 or 80 or even longer, who knows, but either way, it's a limited time. So we must number our days and be aware that our time is limited. And James tells us this as well in a little bit different way. He says in James 4.14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So with that in mind, Paul tells us to make the best use of our time. He says to snatch it up because it's limited and it's urgent that we make the best use of our time, right? Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to make the best use of our time? Well, scripture gives us principles and purpose statements of how we can use the best use of our time. I'll read a couple of them and then we'll unpack them a bit. So one of the things scripture says is in Galatians 6.10, says, so then as we have the opportunity or time, Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those through the household of faith. Likewise, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, very broad, do all for the glory of God. So all of these sound kind of abstract, right? They're not super detailed. Make the best use of your time. Do good to everyone. Walk in good works. Do everything for God's glory. They sound far off and not very detailed, not not a lot to work with there or apply, right? Um, There's actually a million ways to apply these verses, right? Make the best use of your time. Do everything for God's glory. And that's because part of wise living is, is figuring out what, how God wants to, us to live in the everyday life, right? Um, wise living provides both freedom and difficulty of making the best use of our time because the Bible doesn't tell us how to spend every minute of every day. We each get 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, except on leap years. And it's up to us to steward that time, right? to buy it up. So what do we spend our time on? How do we redeem it? Well, scriptures tell us on good works, on doing good to others, on glorifying God in everything that we do. But that really takes intentionality as we go about our days, right? Um, one of the, my favorite quotes I came across this week studying this passage was from a guy named Matthew Perman. And it says, the time doesn't make the most of itself. We are to take back time from poor uses and turn it to good uses. We all know, I think, that the reality is is that our time, if it's left up to itself, we'll end up using it poorly um, if we're not mindful and intentional about it. Let me just, this was super convicting for me this week as I was studying this passage and just thinking through how do I spend my time And I came up with just two examples. There are lots, but I'm just going to tell you two examples of ways that I felt like I could have redeemed my time better um, this week. Maybe you guys can identify with them. Maybe you can't. Um, The first one is that Alicia and I, my wife Alicia and I, we like to watch a show before we go to bed, right? Um, And so we were watching a show this week, comes to the end of the episode, and it's bedtime, right? And I say, hey, let's just watch one more episode. Let's just watch one more episode. And Alicia, being the good, wise wife that she is, says, it's bedtime, babe. Uh, I said, let's just watch one more. So 30 minutes passes, right? And we go to bed. And then I wake up the next day 30 minutes later, right? Because I went to bed 30 minutes uh, later. And of course, I need to get my day going. And so what's the first thing that goes? It's Bible reading and prayer, right? Uh, I don't have time for that this morning. So I go about my day having not read the Bible and prayed, right? Not redeeming the time. Second one, um, like I said, just two examples. There's lots more that I could tell you. But so I go to Starbucks to work on this sermon. And uh, I go to the Starbucks a lot. So I try to always make conversation with the employees, see if I can encourage them, see if any doors open up to share with them. And uh, I order and then I find myself standing in the line to get my drink across, right across from the guy. And I'm just scrolling through Twitter on my phone, right? Checking what's going on for the day. And there's a guy making the drink right in front of me, right? 
And instead of taking the opportunity to talk to him, see if he needs encouragement, see if I can pray for him, I'm scrolling through Twitter on my phone, distracted, right? Um, so if we do not, if we're not intentional about making the best use of our time, we will waste time and spend it on things that are, um, yeah, not God glorifying. Not that Twitter or Netflix are bad things in and of themselves, but we can turn them into bad things, right? We can also um, just not make the best use of our time. So what are some positive ideas? Well, in home group, and as I was discussing the passage with other people this week, several ideas came up of just small ways that we can redeem the time. One of them was to work with excellence instead of being distracted at work, right? God gets glory from, our, from us doing our work with excellence. Someone else mentioned calling a friend who needs encouragement on the drive home from work, right? Uh, spending time praying for your kids instead of scrolling through social media. Stopping to talk to someone at work who seems lonely and might need some encouragement. Or meditating on a scripture passage when you have some extra time of waiting for someone. These are all simple things, right? Um, I think when we think of making the best use of our time, our mind might go to something very big, like a a large plan, right? Or like a resolution or goal for the year. But really, it's, it's about the everyday things, right? None of these examples that I gave are necessarily world-changing or groundbreaking things, but they're small opportunities that God gives us to redeem the time and to glorify Him in our everyday life. And that's where it really happens. And brothers and sisters, we were created for these good works in Christ Jesus. And so we should get busy with them. We should get busy thinking about how we can use our time to glorify God. But I think as we think about this passage, a couple of different types of people need a word of caution here. So some of you are very good at this. Some of you plan your whole day on how you can do good to other people, do good works and glorify God. And you become very good at obeying this passage, right? And then um, when you do that, your tendency is for pride to well up, right? When we're doing good at something, when we feel like we've got something under control, we, we become prideful, right? Well, Proverbs has another line of wisdom for us. Proverbs 11.2 says that when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. And so the reality is, is that none of us will ever do this perfectly. None of us will ever use all of our time for good as we should. You'll waste time. You'll be unwise with some of your time and you can't buy it all up. And that's because we're all sinners, right? Um, we're all marred by sin. And then I think a, another type of person, person needs some caution um, with this as well. Some, some of us feel like we can never do enough. And we always feel this immense burden of never doing enough with our time. And when you waste the slightest bit of time, guilt and shame flood in, right? Some of you are identifying with this. You may be tempted to feel like if you could just do enough, then maybe God would be happy with you. If you could just do enough good works, then you would be good. The scriptures have another word for us in this moment, and it comes from Ephesians. Chapter two, Paul says, 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No no matter how good we do with our time, we can never earn our salvation, right? It's only by grace, the gift of God. And so we need to remember in the gospel, in these moments of feeling like we're not good enough and these moments of pride, right? We need to remember the gospel. Alicia told me this week that Christ has ultimately and sufficiently redeemed the time for us, right? Like Jesus, his death on the cross has secured the plan of God forever, right? Like he's paid for our salvation forever. That's the ultimate redemption of the time. And we need to look to Christ when we're weak in these areas. We can rest in Christ and know that he's paid for any wasted time and any sin we've committed with our time, right? If we're trusting in him. And so Paul tells us to make the best use of our time. Then he gives us a really interesting reason in the rest of verse 16. It seems a little puzzling at first. He says that we make the best use of our time because the days are evil. So we walk in wisdom because the days are evil. Well, what, what does Paul mean by this phrase, because the days are evil? Well, throughout the New Testament, we see this idea of the last days or evil days. And it's the days that are coming up before the return of Christ, right? And we're still in, in those days today. Jesus has not returned. And yet these days are evil. They're marred by sin. One day Jesus will come back and he will make all things new. He will make all things right, right? No more suffering, no more sin in the world. But the reality is, that, is those days are not here yet. And the days we're in are, are evil. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 1.4 that Jesus came himself to die for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. So this present evil age that we're in is what Jesus himself came to die for. And sin pervades the world in these evil days, right? Romans 3 gives us a picture of this. Verses 10 through 12, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Those sound like evil days, right? And I don't think we have to be very convinced that we live in in dark days, right? We see the world around us. It's marked by sin. It's a world full of sinners, ourselves included. We're reminded of that every day. And we see suffering and disaster all around us, right? And the days aren't getting any less evil. 2023 is not going to be any less evil than 2022, right? That's the reality that we live in. So that's what Paul means. Our world is marked by sin that will only be made right when Jesus returns and comes and makes all things new. And until then, we live in those evil days. So so what does that have to do with using our time wisely, right? Well, I think it's meant to bring urgency and seriousness to the Christian life, to our walk, to walking in wisdom. And it brings urgency and seriousness really to two areas at least. First, it brings urgency and seriousness to our 
our witness as believers. The greatest need for people in an evil age, in the evil days, is Jesus. And it's only Christ that can rescue people from the evil days. So therefore, since we're living in these evil days, we need to use every opportunity that we have, use all of the time possible to get the gospel out to the world. We need to show the love of Christ through our actions and our behaviors and also speak the gospel out. Earlier in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about being children of the light in a dark world. Christ has called his church to be a city on a hill that people can look to and see what the gospel is like and also hear it. And as the church, we have the only message of hope in these evil days, the only good news in these evil days, if we really believe the gospel, right? Therefore, let us use every opportunity. Therefore, it brings urgency to our witness to know we're living in evil days. But it also brings urgency and seriousness to our walk in another way, and that's to um, avoid the temptation of sin. In the evil days, we are tempted to sin, right? We're tempted to give up on being children of the light and instead turn to the darkness, right? All around us, at every corner, evil is waiting. Temptation is waiting for us to give in to sin, right? Peter even tells us that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour in these evil days. So we're tempted not just to be unwise, but to act as children of the darkness. And later in Ephesians, Paul, tell, Paul uses the language of warfare to describe these evil days that we're in, right? We're in a spiritual battle in these days. We're in a spiritual battle to resist temptation and to not give in to sin in the evil days. And this brings urgency and seriousness to our Christian life to making the best use of the time. And we must know this and believe it, and we must be aware of it, lest we lose our urgency in these times. So let's walk in wisdom, examine our lives, and make the best use of the time because the days are evil. But then Paul tells us one more thing um, to, to live as wise in the world. He, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In light of these evil days, don't be foolish, he says. Just as he contrasted being unwise and being, living as wise, he now contrasts being foolish and understanding the will of the Lord. So don't be foolish. In other words, don't be a fool, right? Like I was tempted to make one of the points, don't be a fool, because when else can you do that? But I, I resisted. So what does the Bible say about being a fool though? Well, it says lots of things. If you read the book of Proverbs one time through, you'll find plenty of ways that all of us have been foolish in our lives, right? It is full of talking about being foolish. And most of the Proverbs are con contrasting what the life of foolishness is like and what the life of wisdom is like. And so I, I would encourage you to go there and look at what the Proverbs say about being wise. But Jesus gives us a really clear picture of foolishness in Matthew 7, after the Sermon on the Mount. He's just finished giving exhortations to people 
on how you should live. And in Matthew 27, sorry, 726, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So foolishness looks like hearing what Jesus, what God says and not obeying it, not doing it. That's what the fool does. And Paul gives us the antidote to foolishness here. He says, understand the will of the Lord instead of being foolish. And I'll be honest, this phrase really puzzled me over the last couple of weeks as I was studying this passage. I mean, how do you wrap up something into nice and tidy couple of minutes on understanding the will of God, right? Um, he's given us a whole book, the Bible, on what his will is. He's also given us the church and the Holy Spirit living, living inside of us, and then given us all our life to figure out how to follow him and obey his will, right? And so we can't really wrap up in a couple of minutes, understand what the will of the Lord is, but, but let's try to think about it for a bit. I think Paul helps us understand what he means in Colossians um, 1, 9 and 10. He says, he's praying for the Colossian church and he asks God that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. So God's will is that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, right? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in our knowledge of God. That's God's will for us, right? And then Paul also lets us into this a little bit in earlier in chapter five of Ephesians in verse 10, when he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So throughout the scriptures, we really hear what, what God demands from the world, right? What he expects for us as believers. And we find out what's pleasing to the, world, to the Lord, but we don't find out exactly what to do every minute of every day, right? He doesn't spell it out for us. And it's not as simple as just knowing the Bible, right? That's a huge part of it. Don't misunderstand but understanding the will of the Lord is not simply knowledge, but it's understanding how to apply what God's will is, right? And that's a spiritual exercise. We, we need God for this. We don't just need our brains. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that we have to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And discernment really takes God working in us. We can't do that on our own strength. So James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks knowing how to obey God, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So part of understanding the will of God means asking God for help. Because believe me, we need help in growing in wisdom and knowing how to obey God. We need help every day, right? So it takes asking, asking God for wisdom, but it also takes being in relationship with Christ, right? Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we are transformed, right? 
um, to know his will. We have to be transformed. We have to be in relationship with him. I think I was really corrected on this in my own thinking thinking this week, um, because oftentimes I think we just think of understanding God's will as something up here, right? But it's really also in the heart as well and in relationship. I thought of this in my relationship with my wife. Um, it's not all, not always, but often I know what she wants before I even ask her what she wants, right? So um, when we're eating at Kane's Chicken in the Galleria Mall, I know that Alicia is going to get a three-finger combo, a three-finger chicken strip combo, right? That's what she orders at Kane's Chicken. And it's because I have asked her and gone with her to Kane's Chicken and been in relationship with her and I know what she's going to order already. Also, whenever she walks through the door at the end of a day, I can look at her face and know whether she's had a bad day or not, right? She doesn't even have to tell me whether or not she's had a bad day or a good day. And the reason for that is because I'm in relationship with her. I'm walking with her every day, right? And if we're going to really understand and obey the will of God in our life, we have to be in communion with him. We have to be in relationship with him. This is a spiritual exercise, not just a cognitive exercise, not just in our brains. And so as we read the scripture, as we get guidance from the Holy Spirit, as we are transformed into the image of Christ, we will understand the will of the Lord. And God has given us everything we need for this, right? He's given us his word, the Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he's given us each other, to help us do this, right? It's a community exercise. I love this quote by J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God on Obeying the Will of God. He says, the effect of his wisdom, sorry, the effect of his gift of wisdom is to make us more humble, more joyful, more godly, more quick-sighted as to his will, and more resolute in doing it. Thus, the kind of wisdom that God waits to give to those who ask him is a wisdom that will bind us to himself, a wisdom that will find an expression in a spirit of faith and life of faithfulness. I think this quote's beautiful because God gives us wisdom to make us more godly and understand more and more of what his will is. And it's about relationship with him. We're drawn into relationship with him and knowing him more, not just up here, but here as well. And then we carry it out in our lives. And I think this passage, to wrap it up, this passage is going to affect each of our lives in different ways, right? We're all in different seasons. We're all in different stations of lives. We all have different jobs and different giftings, right? So we don't all obey this passage in the same way. Let me just speak to maybe a couple of your situations. Maybe you haven't reflected in a while about how you're living, and maybe you need to take some time over the next couple of days to take a careful, honest, humble look at your life and ask the question, how am I walking in the Lord? Maybe you need to have someone walk alongside with you in this and have some accountability. Or maybe you're walking through life and you're a little distracted by the world around you going into this new year. And maybe time's passing you by and you don't plan for good works in your life. 
You don't take the opportunities to do good to others, but you let them pass you by. I'd encourage you to carefully consider how you might make the best use of your time that God has given to you. And the time that he's given to you at work, at home, and in all of your life. And maybe you're someone that hasn't quite in the last season approached the Christian life with urgency. Maybe you haven't realized the days are evil and the time is short and what that means for those around you, that their greatest need is for Christ and to hear the gospel before it's too late. Maybe you don't have an understanding of how to obey the will of Christ in your everyday life because you don't spend time in his word and communing with him in prayer and in the church. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to do those things in 2023, right? And then maybe some of you are here today and you don't know Christ at all. You, you've never even heard about his saving power. And I would encourage you to talk to the person that brought you. I'd be happy to talk to you. But the greatest need you have is to put your trust in, in Christ today. That's the greatest need you have in 2023. And so friends, the, the days are evil. We, we live in a dark age. Jesus is coming again one day, but that day is not here yet. And so therefore, let's get busy and go to work and live our Christian lives with wisdom in light of the gospel. Let's look carefully how we're walking as believers. Let's make the best use of our time. And let's understand what Jesus would have to us to do in all areas of our life. And let's do that together in 2023. Let me just pray and ask for God's help as the worship team comes back up. God, we thank you for 2022. We thank you for, God, all of the ways that we've seen your mighty hands and your works. God, we thank you for your saving power in our lives, God. God, we thank you for giving us your word. God, and I ask that as we walk into a new year, into a new season, God, would you cause our minds to be um, just made new in this new year, that we would um, seek to live lives of wisdom, God, that we would seek to follow you in, in every area of our life, that we would seek to gain more and more knowledge of you, God, that we would seek to spend more and more time communing with you in prayer, God. God, that we would buy up every opportunity, God, every opportunity that we get to, to glorify you in the world, I pray that you would help us take it, God. We need your spirit for that. We need your church for that. And so I pray that you would help us, God. Would you give us wisdom, would you guide us in 2023? Because we, we need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.